We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Omani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Let's open up to the book of Judges, chapter 17. As Lord willing this evening, we're going to cover a couple of chapters. There's a lot here. And in our study tonight, we're going to see the decay of the family, the decay of the ministry, which of course would then lead to the decay of society. We're going to look first at the Ephraimite, and secondly at the Levite, and then finally at the Medanite. I don't know if it's a Danite or Danite, I'm not sure, it's something like that. Uh, The tribe of Dan and his descendants. Uh, You know, there's a lot of talk uh, about who our next president will be. You guys ever talk about that? Ever wonder about that? Do you ever pray about that? (laughs) You know, and rightly so, it's cool, you know. But you know what, tonight I want to just share something with you that an even bigger question, a better question, a more important conversation is not just about our president, but about our king. Who is the king of your life? You know, who calls the shots? Who rules over our life? You know, the problem we're going to see in the book of Judges was a problem of a Authority. It was a problem of authority. It was just simply everybody doing what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. And so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that led to the destruction of the family, the destruction of the ministry, and the destruction of the society. And so here in America, here we are. We're at a crossroads. We've never been here before. Things are crazy. We don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's talking about our president and cool. Think about it. Pray about it. Talk about it. But have a a better, bigger, greater conversation with you and yourself. And you got to ask yourself, who, who's the king in your life? Because that's what we're going to see was going on in Israel. A problem that really I think would make a big difference. We're going to see today something real interesting, you guys. We're going to see that this guy, um, the the Levite and the Ephraimite and the Danites, you know, just a few people, a handful of people, that they made such a vast difference for destruction that they would be the ones to ruin the tribe of Dan, to bring down the northern kingdom of Israel here and forever, the ramifications of their disobedience was crazy. So much so that when you read the book of Revelation chapter 7, the book, the tribe of Dan is not even mentioned in heaven. Now, I'm not saying they didn't go to heaven, but I know this, that their tribe was eliminated. Why? And Because of their disobedience. It started here. What a difference a disobedient disciple makes for destruction. And yet at the same time, I want to encourage you in this light, what a difference an obedient man of God or woman of God will make for now and to eternity. And it's all a question of authority. It's very simple. Will Jesus Christ be the king of your life or not? 
Because look what we read in verse 1. It says, Now there was a, a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver which were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. And so when he had returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. And then he returned the silver to his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. And he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Have you guys ever heard that saying, as goes the home, so goes the nation? Have you guys ever heard that? We're going to kind of see that tonight. We're going to see a glimpse of that. In verses 1 through 6, we see the decay of the family. You know, here we have this man from the mountains of Ephraim. His name is Micah. His name means who is like God. Well, he definitely wasn't. For one thing, he stole a grip of money from his mom. Did you guys ever steal money from your parents when you were growing up? It's pretty bad, man. <laughs> Imagine that, stealing money from his mom. 1,100 shekels of silver. Now, that's a lot of money because we're going to see later that 10 shekels of silver was probably close to a whole year's wages. 10 shekels of silver. This guy stole 1,100 shekels of silver from his mom. And so, you see, it's a lot of money. And what happens is when the money is stolen, the mom speaks a curse over whoever stole it. She doesn't know it's her son yet, but she speaks a curse. You know, like whoever stole that money, you know, may they go to hell, right? Something like that. And so the son, he more than likely, you know, heard and had a fear of the curse. This is the real reason. He tells his mom, Mom, I stole it. I was the thief. And so now he returns the silver to her. His mom then undoes the curse by speaking a blessing. That's kind of how it was back then. And then she decides to invest 200 of those shekels of silver to make a carved image and a metal or molten image at the silversmith for her son. And so this is going on in the house of Micah. And so we read in verse 5 again, look what it says. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols. And he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Now we don't know for sure. If you guys will read your commentaries, most of the commentaries will tell you that this was not in chronological order. But it was listed towards the end of Judges to give us the way that the society decayed in the end. And we're going to see here the decay of the family, the decay of the ministry, and the decay of society. And so we read in verse 5 that this guy Micah, he had a shrine. And that's literally a house of gods. It was a house of gods. Now this is really confusing here because the mom uses the name of the Lord there in verse 2. 
Jesus is the name of the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, God. Again, in verse 3, we're going to see it later in verse 13. Micah speaking the name of the Lord. And so, you know, they, they had the right name, but it's obvious that all they had of the Lord was the name. That they only knew him by name. They didn't really know him. You know? I mean, we look at this right here, and we know that the true tabernacle at this time was in Shiloh. But what they did was they said, you know what, I'm not going to gonna, you know, you know, submit to that authority. I'm going to take the bull by the horns, man. I'm going to, you know, go in and take matters into my own hands. And so they decided to do what? To have their own shrine, to have their own tabernacle in the mountains of Ephraim. It was totally unbiblical. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 14 says there was to be but one place of worship in Israel. People were not permitted to have their own private shrines. As a matter of fact, if you want to turn there real quick, notice the similarity here. This is really, really interesting. Notice what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. It says, But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. You see, the Lord, wherever they would go in history, they would have a place for the tabernacle and then eventually the temple. He says, that's the place that you need to gather together. That's the place you need to go. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all to which you have put your hand, you and your households, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. It's the same thing we read in Judges. Huh? Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. They're supposed to go down to Shiloh. That's what God says the tabernacle is. But he says, no, nah, I'm going to build a shrine in my own house. I'm going to do what I want to do. Not what God says. See, that's where they were at. And so back in Judges, we see that this was way off. You see, the Lord would choose a place to gather. You can't make your own shrine. It's not what we think or what we feel is right. The question is, and always will be, what's right in God's sight, right? We see here that Micah not only had a private shrine, but he also made an ephod. And he also ordained his son to serve as priest. It says that there in verse 5. Now the ephod was uh, something that the priest wore, a sleeveless vest. And, you know, to ordain your son as priest was contrary to the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord said that such a person should be put to death. In Numbers 3 verse 10, So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall she shall be put to death. And so all I'm saying is that when we go through these sections right here, we see that there's a lot of confusion. There's no clarity. There's no crystal clear understanding of how to do things God's way. They kind of mixed it up a little bit and they added their own thing. And what we see is that they were off. It's this household of Micah, the Ephraimite, that was off. The mom was off. The son was off. Micah. The son's son was off. 
Where was the dad? You know, maybe he was sleeping. Maybe he was bowling. Maybe he died. I don't know. But a lot of times, you know, that's the problem, man. The dad's not there to lead. Mom takes over. And she starts making decisions. And the household is not what it should be. You know, they had a lot of wealth, right? But they didn't have a lot of wisdom. They had a whole bunch of gods. But here's the thing. They didn't have the true God. They knew his name, but they did not know him. You know, and that's what religion will do. You know, religion will not take you to heaven. You know, the other day I went and I visited someone in the hospital. And uh, this is an individual who I, who I know is rooted in Catholicism. You know, and you know, when you go to a hospital visit, of course you want to be nice to them. And you want to be, you know, I, I guess you could say, you know, considerate and everything. So there's a, a kind of a temptation not to say anything. But, but what if they die? And there's blood on your hands. Because Catholicism will not get you to heaven. I was telling this individual, you know, the only thing that gets us to heaven is Jesus Christ and faith in Jesus Christ. And if you trust the priest, you're not going to make it. If you trust in the last rites, you're not going to make it. If you trust in your baptism, you're not going to make it. If you trust in any of those sacraments, you have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will not go to heaven because our trust must be in Jesus Christ alone and his cross. And if you add anything to that, you're not going to heaven. And the most loving thing we could do is what? Tell them that. I mean, they had a whole bunch of religions. They had a household full of gods and idols. And they did not really know the Lord. I was telling this individual, just strip it down to the purity of who Jesus is. You see, that's where it has to be. You know, one thing that was kind of interesting as I was going through this, just as a quick side note, you know, they did right here in Judges 17 what a lot of people do nowadays. They essentially said what a lot of people say nowadays, I don't need to go to church. <laughs> you know, I have a personal relationship with God. I don't need to go to church. But, you know, according to the scriptures, God established the church. God instituted the church. You need to go to church. You need to belong and be plugged into a church, a church that teaches you the Bible, a church that will love you enough to tell you the truth. We need the church. Jesus started the church. He instituted it. He gave pastors, you know, and preachers and teachers and evangelists and prophets. It's all part of the spiritual structure that's necessary. We're all different parts of the body. We need each other. You know, and, and the way that it works, usually if someone is not willing to be part of the church visible, then the chances are that they're not part of the church invisible. You know, a lot of people, they have uh, this relationship with God. Have you ever run into somebody who all they do is watch church on TV? You met somebody do that? Because, you know, they're live streaming nowadays. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I got Charles Stanley, you know, or whoever it is that they watch, right? And Charles Stanley is cool. You know, it's okay as a supplement, but... Man, to be part of a body of Christ, to be plugged in, to go to Shiloh, to go to Jerusalem, to have that home church is vital for our relationship with God. We can't just have a shrine in our own house. We can't just watch it online. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 24-25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. You know, we need to continue 
to get together. And so we see, first of all, the decay of the family, the decay, secondly, now, of the ministry as we move from the Ephraimite to the Levite. Notice what it says here, guys, in verse 7. Now, there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. And then he came to the mountains of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where did you come from? And so he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. And Micah said to him, well, dwell with me. Be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. And so the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. And so Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man because his priest became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as priest. Kind of like his good luck charm, you know. I think I told you guys before, I knew this one guy who thought for sure he was going to heaven. Because he had one son-in-law that was a pastor and another one that was a priest. He's all, for sure I'm going to make it in. That kind of reminds me of that when I read this right here. You know, but, but, you know, looking at this right here, I don't know for sure what brought this Levite to the place of looking for a place. You know, because when you read the Old Testament, when you read when they came into the land, they had established 48 cities for the Levites. It was land that was supposed to be given to them. Why was this Levite looking for a place to live? You know, there's a few theories. Some people suggest that maybe he wasn't being supported with the tithes and offerings of the people. And that's a possibility. We know that happened in Nehemiah chapter 13. The people weren't giving to the work of the ministry. But usually the tithings go down when the teachings go down, huh? Isn't that the way it usually works? You see, there was a spiritual decay that was happening to the country. The book of Amos said there was a famine in the land. You know, and I'll be honest with you, you guys, you got to be really careful, man. You can turn on the TV, the radio, you can have someone open up their Bible, and you can even go to a church. doesn't mean they're really teaching the Word of God. you got to make sure that they're teaching you the truth, and they're talking about sin and salvation, God's love, God's grace, God's wrath, heaven, hell, the full counsel of God. All I know is that this Levite was in a place where he was not being supported, more than likely they weren't getting the tithes because they weren't giving the teaching. The Levite here was a leader. He shouldn't have been in Bethlehem. That wasn't one of the cities set aside for the Levites. But we have a lot of questions about him. Now, somehow we find him, he hooks up with Micah in the mountains of Ephraim. And Micah finds out he's a Levite. And he says, hey, take it with me, man. Stay at my path. You know, I'll, I'll take care of you, man. <laughs> I'll give you pizza, I'll give you spaghetti, I'll buy you some gap clothes, because I heard you like to stand in the gap, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> and what I'll do is I will give you ten shackles of silver a year, right? What ends up happening? Well, the Levite then, he goes and he lives with the man. He becomes what he wants to be all his life, a prophet for profit. And how many people in the ministry today are only in the ministry because it's a job? Because they can make some money off the people. There's a lot of people like that. And they got, you know, 
$3,000 suits, and they've got jet planes, and they've got, you know, expensive cars and houses, and they have got a hot spot in hell because they're only in it for the money. See, we got to be so careful, you guys. We've got to make sure that, you know, maybe you're not in it, you know, for the, to get rich, but maybe you're in it for the money. You know, it doesn't mean, you know, that you have to be rich on it. You just got to make sure that you're not a hireling. You see, the decay of the family will always lead to the decay of the ministry. No one's tithing. No one's teaching. The Levite, you know, would have known that for him to leave his land was wrong. For him to go and become a prophet for profit was wrong. You see, the first guys, the Ephraimite, they're guilty of haziness. They don't really know what the Bible teaches, but you should find out. The second guy, the Levite, he's guilty of, of craziness because it's crazy when you know what's right and you go against it anyways. That's what the Bible says. The Levite should have known better. You know, but apparently, verse 6 applied to him as well. Because remember what it said, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was crazy, you guys. How sad and sick when men approach the ministry as a job where there's money to be made for the rest of their lives rather than a calling of God that's placed on their lives. There's a huge difference between a shepherd and a hireling, huh? If you want, go over to John chapter 10 real quick. And Lord Jesus spoke a bit about this in John chapter 10. Notice what it says in verse 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a and does not care about the sheep. You know, I think that's probably one of the greatest things that you can really ask yourself when you're involved in ministry. You know, do you care about the people? Oh, but I just love to teach. I love to teach. I love to study the Bible. Cool. Do you care about the people. Oh, I love to play. I love to sing. I love to do, you know, computer graphics and things like that. Cool. Do you care about the people? Well, I'm not getting paid. I'm on, not on staff. Yeah, but you're getting paid other things. Accolades. Why are you doing it? Why are you involved in ministry? Is it because God's called you there? And let me ask you a question. How are you? With the people. You know, for some people, when it comes to ministry, they say things like this. You know, ministry would be so cool if there weren't any people, you know. And, and you try to tell them, you say, you know what, that's what it's all about. It's about the people. It's about the people you need to minister to and talk to and serve and even the problem people. You know, Paul the Apostle, he had a hard time finding people with the same heart. And that's why he even said when he's writing to the Philippians, you know, when Timothy comes and, and, you know, I want you to pay attention to this guy. Pay attention. You want to know why? Because I have no one else like-minded who sincerely cares for 
the people. Otherwise, they're just a hireling. The Levite, he was just a hireling. That's all he was. And so one day he finds his, oh, I can go live over here. Ten shekels of silver per year. Get some gap clothes, pizza and spaghetti. I'm set, you know. And so he goes and that's his life. He forgets that there's a calling upon him. You see, there's a decay of society that follows the decay of family and the decay of ministry. Because look what we look at next, you guys. In chapter 18, it says again in verse 1 that in those days there was no king in Israel. And in those days the tribes of the Danites, or Danites, was seeking inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. And so the children of Dan went five men, sent five men of their family from their territory, men of valor from Zorah, and Eshtael to spy out the land and search it. They said to them, go search the land. And so they went to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. And while they were at the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What do you have here? He said to them, thus and so Micah did for me. He has hired me and I have become his priest. And so they said to him, please inquire of God that we may know whether the journey on which we go will be prosperous. And the priest said to them, go in peace. The presence of the Lord be with you on your way. The first guys, they were guilty of haziness. They didn't know what the Bible taught. The second guy, he was guilty of craziness. He knew, but he went against it. The third guy, they were kind of guilty of, of laziness. And uh, they all rhymed. Did you guys notice that? Okay. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but be careful of haziness, not knowing what the Bible teaches. Be careful of craziness when you know better and you still go against it. And be careful of laziness. The tribe of Dan had their allotted territory. If you look at a map, you would see it was there on the west coast. It was beach land, man. It was considered to be the best land. They were a small tribe, but God gave them some good land. But here's the problem. It wasn't easy. It was going to be very, very difficult for them. And so you know what they did? They said, you know what? God's, God's will for my life is just too hard. I just, we just can't do it. Can't do it. Let me go look for something easier. And that's exactly what they did. They were lazy. They didn't want to work hard for the calling of God upon their life. You know, they didn't want to pray the way they should. They didn't want to fast. They didn't want to study the Bible. They didn't want to do those things that would take them out of their comfort zones. You know, and we have to be so careful that we don't do the same thing that they did. Here we see they weren't able to claim the land God had given to them, so they searched out something easier. It didn't matter to them if it was outside the will of God. They wanted something easy. They wanted something breezy. I remember Steve Camp, he had a song. He said, you know, some people want to run a mission and they want to live with the sound of chapel bells. I want to run a mission a yard from the gates of hell. I like that. I like that challenge. It reminds me of Caleb. Remember when he was 80 years old? He said, give me that mountain. You know, I'm not saying you necessarily have to just go and look for the challenge or whatever is challenging. That's what I'm going to get. But, man, just, you know, ask the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do in life? 
It doesn't matter if it's hard. God will give you the strength to complete that task. Now, I have a feeling that the house of Micah was on the main road, the main highway. He probably had a 7-Eleven out of his house or something, man. You know, because all the travelers, they kept coming to his house. Either that or he had, you know, some good menudo or something that just drew them there, right? It's kind of funny, on our way to Vizcaino, there's a few houses that have really good food. We went down there, and um, anyways, you just kind of find yourself at... They found themselves here at, 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 at this guy's house, but the five dudes from Dan, they lodged there, and they ended up conversing with the Levite. They recognized his southern accent, because he's from the south, right? And so they asked him to ask the Lord whether their journey would be prosperous or not. Now, a couple of things that are wrong here real quick, and I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want to touch on this. Number one, you know, they ask the priest, when they find out it's a priest, hey, can you tell us if our journey is going to be prosperous or not? Okay, and the priest says, yeah, you guys are going to be great. The Lord is with you. Okay, number one, they didn't need to ask the Lord. They didn't need to ask the priest. They didn't even need to pray about it. God had already told them where their land was. It was on the east side, not the north side. You see, and there are certain things that we don't have to pray about. Oh, Lord, you know, should I get drunk today? What do you think, Lord? Yeah, you know, should I go with that girl over there even though she's not a Christian? What do you think, Lord? Even missionary dating, be careful of that. Some people, what they'll do, they're Christians, and they, they like somebody, but they're not a Christian. And so what they do, they bring them to church. Hey, come on, come on. You know what? If you want to date me, then, you know, come to church. We can't do that. We can't do missionary dating. There's certain things that we don't have to pray about. And not only that, you know, the second thing is since they were day nights, the Levites should have known that there was a different land allotted to them. And he shouldn't have said, thumbs up, man, God's with you. He, he just knew, slam dunk, this is what the revelation is. You guys are supposed to go over there. You see, and we see that happen all the time. We need to be careful what we pray, and we need to be careful what we say. We're going to see in the end that this will lead to the end of the northern kingdom. That's how important this is. Because look what happens in verse 7. And so the five men departed and went to Laish. And they saw the people who were there, how they dwelt safely, and in the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and secure. There were no rulers in the land who might put them to shame for anything. They were far from the Sidonians, and they had no ties with anyone. And then the spies came back to their brethren at Zorah and Eshtael. It's a hundred miles, man. And their brethren, they said to them, What is your report? And so they said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and indeed it is very good. Would you do nothing? Do not hesitate to go and enter to possess the land. When you go, you will come to a secure people and a large land. For God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is on the earth. In a nutshell, what do they say? We found something easy to do. Easy and breezy. They said, hey, let's go ahead and get it. And so what happens, verse 11, 600 men of the family of the Danites went from there, from Zorah and Eshtael, armed with weapons of war. And then they went up and encamped in Kirjath Jerim in Judah. Therefore they called that place Mahana Dan to this day. There it is west of Kirjath Jerim. Just the place where they camped out, right? And they passed from there to the mountains of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. Then the five men who had gone to spy out the country 
of Laish answered and said to their brethren, Do you know that there are in these houses an ephod, household idols, a carved image and a molded image? Now therefore consider what you should do. And so they turned aside there. Now again, 600 men on their way. You know, they think that Lord, the Lord is leading them to get their land. They remember, hey, there's this religious stuff over here. They turn aside there and they come to the house of the young Levite man, to the house of Micah, and greeted him. And the 600 men armed with their weapons of war, who were of the children of Dan, stood by the entrance of the gate. And then the five men who had gone to spy out the land went up. Entering there, they took the carved image the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image. The priest stood at the entrance of the gate with the 600 men who were armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the molded image, the priest said to them, What's up? What are you doing? And they said to him, Be quiet. Put your hand over your mouth and come with us. Be a father and a priest to us. Is it better for you to be a priest to the household of one man or that you be a priest to the tribe and a family and Israel. And so the priest was all happy. Man. His heart was glad and he took the ephod, the household idols, and the carved image and took his place among the people. I don't know if you guys are following this or not. You might have to go home and read it again, huh? Okay, but let me just kind of give you the story in a nutshell. They're going there and uh, and they're on their way to get their land. They finally, they found an easy an easy place. You guys ever heard that, uh, that, that phrase or that, that saying, pick on somebody your own size? You know? They found somebody real small. Oh, we're going to go get them. Yeah, we're all bad. You ain't bad, okay? Go, and, and, and they're on their way, 600 men. And they say, you know what? Let's get some God stuff while we're on our way. Not only, let's not just get some God stuff. Let's steal some God stuff, you know? Really, really weird. Really crazy stuff, right? I remember hearing a story about the Alley riots, the Rodney King riots. And there was a reporter who was out and about during the riots. And he came across a man who was looting a store where they sold Christian music, right? And this man, he said, was praising Jesus as he was stealing the CDs from the store. <laughs> you know, and that's basically what they were doing. You know, even though these idols and ephods and images, even though the priest wasn't anything at all, they were not really articles of the Almighty, the Danites thought they were. And so they stole their spiritual necessities. Isn't there a craziness to that? The Levites, anyways, there, and they say, hey, you come with us as well. I mean, here you are, you're just kicking it with a small family. We're going to give you a big church. You come with us. We'll, give you, we'll take care of you. We're going to give you a big church. And you know, when, we were, when I was looking at that and I was thinking about it, I was like, wow, Lord, he's a hireling to the max. Here he is now. I mean, he makes a commitment to the family. He abandons that. Why? Because now the numbers are better. And we just have to be so careful, you guys. And I know that, you know, maybe you're never going to face that, that, that temptation. Maybe you will. You know, but man, we got to be so careful that God, you know, works in our heart to such a place where we don't measure success by numbers. And when we get to heaven, I'm telling you this right now, everything's going to be different. You know, right here, just from a, a human standpoint, I'm talking outside the church, a secular standpoint. How do I know you're successful? Well, you got a really nice car, man. You got a Lexus. You got a mansion. You, you've got, you know, vacation homes. You've got nice clothes. 
You got money. You're successful. You know what? But 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 man, you know there'll be a lot of rich people, and they'll be the first to tell you that they're empty inside. And then you go and you and you meet this person over here, and they're living in a you know in a one bedroom apartment, and they got this thing called love. They've got the Lord, and they'll and they'll tell you, I I. I am just the most blessed man in the whole world. I have a wife who loves me. I have kids who love me. I have a God who loves me. He gives me what I need. I don't worry about all that other stuff. You know, the success, the whole mentality is wrong. You know, and and unfortunately and tragically, you would expect it to be different, but that whole mentality has spilled over into the church. Into the church. How do you know if one day, man, you know, God, God, there's a saying, Warren Wiersbe said, there's no such thing as small churches. There really isn't. Most people will measure the success of a church by how big their building is, how big their budget is, and how big their body is. But that is not how God measures success. Here's this guy, and they're saying, man, you're just here with this little family? Come with us. And you'll be a priest to a whole tribe. And this guy, you know, and it's just so sad to see he was so happy about that. Yay. And he was so wrong. The Levite did what many ministers do nowadays. When something bigger and better comes around. We read earlier what Jesus said. They, they see and they flee. And so what ends up happening? Verse 21. Then they turned and departed and put the little ones, the livestock, and the goods in front of them. And they were, when they were a good way away from the house of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they called out to the children of Dan. And so they turned around and said to Micah, What ails you that you have gathered such a company? And so he said, You have taken away my gods, which I made, and the priest, and you have gone away. Now what more do I have? How can you say to me what ails you? It's kind of sad when you have to rescue your gods, huh? It's pretty sad. Anyways, the children of Dan said to him, Listen, man, do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry men fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. And the children of Dan went their way, and when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his house. And so they took the things Micah had made and the priests who had belonged to him and the priests went to Laish, a people quiet and secure. They found the easy ones, right? And they struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. There was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no ties with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahab. So they rebuilt the city and dwelt there and they called the name of the city Dan after the name of Dan, their father, who was born to Israel. However, the name of that city formerly was Laish. And then the children of Dan set up for themselves the carved image. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and his sons were priests to the tribe of Dan. Notice this. Until the day of the captivity of the land. And so they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made. All the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. I know there's a lot there. You know, there's a a lot there. And I think there's a lot for us to glean. 
You know, but in the end, what we find is that the, the sins that we think are so small, they end up becoming really, really big. You know, years later, when the kingdom was divided, Jeroboam the first of Israel would set up the golden calf in Dan and encourage the whole nation to turn away from the true living God. What we find here, according to Judges, is that was all rooted in the sin of the Ephraimite and the Levite and the Danites that all did this whole thing. You know, in their sins, you never know where it's going to lead. In this case, it led to the fall of the entire northern kingdom of Israel. But you would never have thought that, huh? Because all you're doing is you're there living in your own little world. Many, 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 many years later, you fast forward to the book of Revelation, and what you find is that the tribe of Dan cannot even be found. Why? Because you never know how big your little sin might be. What do we need to do? I think one of the things as we close here tonight is before we leave today, you know, one of the issues I think that we have to settle is the issue of authority. You know, on your heart, on all of our hearts, there's a throne. There's a throne on your heart. And the question I guess I want to just end with today is who really sits on that throne? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, if it is, I just am so grateful. I thank God because I know that he's going he's gonna to lead your life. You know, I've got to share this with you just from a pastoral standpoint. God loves you. Okay, you guys know that? You're like, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, I know that. Okay, but check this out. Okay, last time that uh, the group was here from Cornerstone, uh, they sang that song, Oh, How He Loves Us. So, did you guys notice that? Okay, then homeboy Jaden Lavitt came out on New Year's Eve, and guess what song he sang? How He Loves Us. So, now, he didn't know that Angel sang that song. Did he, Angel? No, I don't think so. Next thing you know, Gia Lucid comes out. What does she sing? How he loves us so. And then Angel did it again today. And I was just sitting back there and I was listening to that and I was thinking, Lord, I hope this congregation knows how much God loves them. He loves you just the way you are. He loves you with all your warts. You know, he loves you with all your blemishes and all your gray hairs and how some of you here are a little overweight and all that kind of stuff. You need to floss your teeth and deodorant and all that kind of stuff. You know, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so that he won't leave you the way you are. He wants to change us, right? He wants to make us into his image. And so, you know, I pray that for those of you who have Jesus Christ Sitting on the throne of your heart, you would know how much he loves you. And that would change your life. But I also pray that if there's any here tonight who do not have Jesus Christ as the Lord of their life, he's really not on the throne, that tonight you would make that decision, you know, to truly, totally follow him. You know, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own sight. But the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to a man and its end is destruction. We can't do what's right in our own sight. we got to do what's right in God's sight. And Jesus Christ loves you. He died for you. Put your faith in Him. If you're here today, maybe you're addicted to drugs. Maybe you're addicted to alcohol. 
Maybe you're here today and you can't stop the sexual sin because you need Jesus Christ to come in and break the chains. Maybe you're here tonight and you want to commit suicide. Maybe you're here tonight and your marriage is just about over. Your children are leaving. I don't know what's going on in your life. Financially, you feel like you're not going to make it because you're not going to make it without Jesus. You need Jesus. We need Jesus. Very simple. This is not a religion. This is not a social club. This is not, you know, a whole bunch of guys, you know, that are are trying to put their nose up in the air and saying this is how good we are. No, this is a whole bunch of sinners who are saying how good God is. And I'm telling you tonight, whoever you are here tonight, whoever you are, you can trust Him. You can trust Him with your life. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for allowing us, Lord God, to study your word together. A lot here, Lord. I don't want to be hazy or crazy or lazy, Lord. Father, we see the decay of the family, the ministry, society. Help us to learn, Lord, that those little sins are not so little after all. Lord, I thank you for sharing with us your love. And I pray that you bless your people, Father. And if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray they would know that's why they're here. That the real reason why they're here is right now. So that they would make a decision to follow you. So, Lord, I pray that that would take place in every heart. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.